Welcome to Bodcast, the business of dentistry podcast, brought to you by Practice Plan. Bodcast delivers the best business advice, real life stories, and practical hints and tips to make your practice a more profitable and sustainable business. And now, here's your host. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Bodcast here at Practice Plan. My name is Johnny Drury, and today I'm joined by dentist Simon Thackeray. Uh, hello, Simon. Thanks for your time. If you want to just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit bit about yourself and your practice. Hi Johnny, thank you for uh, thank you for inviting me. Um, my name's Simon Thackeray. Some of you might have come across me in the previous podcasts and, and things that I've done during lockdown. Um, I have a now completely private practice in Mansfield in Nottinghamshire, um, which is uh, four dentists, two therapists um, and went private initially in about 2005 and then finally dumped the last remnants of the NHS contract this month that's October 2021. So that's uh, you know some, some exciting sort of news this month Simon but if we go right back to that 2005 um, and I know we ask a lot of dentists sort of why they why they moved over to, to private, you know, back in 2005, what was the, uh, you know, the catalyst, the driving factor in, in you making the move? Well, the main catalyst, I think, was that uh, I looked at what the new contract was likely to be um, and how it how it was sort of structured. And I felt that I couldn't hand on heart sign up to something that I knew I couldn't deliver. Um, and the, the, the reason I say that is, it, it was things like no registration and, and looking after everybody on the list. And, and people still seem to think that there's registration. They still seem to think that they've got this this group of patients that they're, they're looking after. And actually, if you read the, the terms of the, um, the original contract, it is that there is no registration and subject to capacity, which has never really been defined, you would be seeing all and sundry. That is now what's happening. That is exactly what they're now enforcing with the uh, the post-COVID uh, return so that all the non-registered, and I'm using the word registered myself here because it's what we understand, and that is what's put the massive load on the individual practices. And I could see that and it's the way I read the um, the original contract as being something that I couldn't sign up to. I also felt that the way that it was going to be driven with targets and the UDA in particular, I wouldn't be able to do the dentistry that I was trained to do. And in fact, the dentistry that I had been doing previously, I, quite successfully, I think, on the NHS, we used to do a lot of big dentistry as I would sort of call it a lot of restorative work a lot of um, full mouth rehabilitation style uh, work multiple crowns and the way I could see the remuneration for that not being as many swings and roundabouts as our chief dental officer at the time said it was going to be but actually a lot more swings and a, a lot less roundabouts and that's what it's proved to be and you, you mentioned your sort of situation there and how you said you couldn't work under that contract. Do you see a lot of similarities possibly between yourself back then and probably a lot of dentists now who are eagerly awaiting the, you know, the the next contract that's that's going to come up and come out? Um, yeah, I, th I think there's there are similarities because at the moment what's happening is it's 
the system has been opened up completely for those patients who have not been able to gain care. And the NHS uh, contract has always been so poorly funded that there is never enough money to look after everybody in the country. Making the dentist try and pick up the pieces of the failure to fund that is unfair. And what's happening at the moment is that the NHS practices, because they are seeing um, patients who've not been registered, patients who've not been, you see, there's that word again, registered. We talk about registered all the time. It doesn't actually exist. But they're they seeing their, not seeing their regular patients because they're having to see all the patients who've not been to see a dentist or they've not managed to get any dental care. And there aren't enough dentists to look after the number of people that need looking after. And when they're enforcing it through a contract and they're enforcing it through the UDAs um, and then, of course, putting on top of it the onerous um, PPE that, that people are wearing, you can see why a lot of dentists are now starting to think, hang on, it's just is there another way? Is there another way of doing this? And actually, there is another way of doing this. And it's to remove yourself from the system that's, in effect, forcing you to do this. Yeah. And just, just sort of reverting back there to sort of your journey. Um, can you remember what it was like, you know, in them final months of sort of working for the for the NHS? And I know a lot of dentists we speak to sort of struggle with certain things and it all gets on top of them. Can you sort of, does that sort of tally um, up with how you were feeling when you worked under the NHS? I think, no, I, I think at that point, because I'd made the decision to to go, I was more tied up with thinking about planning my business moving forwards rather than thinking about all the um, all the difficulties in the NHS. At that point, we were still on the old contract, so it was still item of service. Um, so I didn't have to do any adult UDAs, and I think that made it easier for me because all I was doing is was changing one item of service system for another item of service system because it, it wasn't based on the UDA. I think the difficulty now is, is with the UDA, there's obviously there's the fixed amount per month that dentists will get if they hit their contracts and there's a security to that. Whereas one of the one of the reasons why I went was the, the just the sheer lack of security of knowing that well one month the the item of service income might have been disproportionately low because the forms hadn't been sent in or there was a delay in sending the form so we used to get lumpy cash flow and I was actually looking forward to getting rid of a big chunk of the lumpy cash flow because patients on plan gave me a consistency now that consistency became something that the new contract gave dentists and, and still does, apart from the fact that at the end of the year, you've still got clawback, which I now don't have. And um, that, you know, that that wasn't a thing that I had to worry about then. I'd suddenly gained a consistency that most people didn't have. And I was looking forward to that. I was also looking forward to just getting rid of some of the bureaucracy. But I didn't realise how much of the bureaucracy I would end up keeping which was all of it. <laughs> and you, you talk there sort of about pros and cons. What would you put above as your sort of main benefit that you've seen over the last um, sort of 15 or so years since, since making that move? Gosh, main benefit. There's, there's, there's loads. Um, I do the dentistry that I was trained to do. 
on the patients that I want to do it on who want me to do it for them. Um, and I think there's that freedom from control. Now, I don't know if that makes me a control freak, but one of the things that I've said before is why the hell would I invest all the money I've invested in a dental business to have somebody else tell me who I can see and what I have to charge? If you want to tell me what to do that, you employ me. You buy the stuff for me and you tell me what to do on who to do on, 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 on who to do it. And you pay for the kit. You pay for everything. When you've got dentists making at the time, mine was a, a five figure investment, I think, in my, in my dental business. Obviously, now you're talking six and seven figure investments. Why the hell? I just don't get it. Why the hell do you let somebody else tell you how you should be providing that that service? And when you're in a situation um, where the market changes, you can't change your prices. All you can do in order to increase your output is to try and ask for some extra UDAs, if there are any. But you've got to make sure that those UDAs are profitable. I mean, some people, I'm sure will shout me down on this and they know how to run their NHS businesses and that's fine if they can make a success from it. I never could and I think a single-handed as I was, well it was, it was there were three of us but it would come from a single-handed NHS practice very quickly. I could never see how I could make something like that work and I just wanted to be able to do what I was trained to do and be paid a fair amount for it, not an extreme amount, a fair amount. And when you look at what we were getting at seven pounds for an MOD filling or whatever it was, it just didn't represent the the work, the training and the ability that we have as dentists, not being arrogant. We're quite highly trained clinicians um, and very skilled. And it, it's an insult, actually, to, to work for the, those kind of fees. And I felt that at the time. So there was a little bit of a personal reason for doing it in that respect. But actually, the bigger thing was I wasn't trained, you know, I wasn't trained at the time to be an NHS dentist. I was trained to be a dentist. Yeah. Um, bringing it right forward to the sort of present day, obviously, in the, the present moment, you just dropped that sort of last little bit of the contract. <laughs> what was the thinking behind that? Because I know you had a small NHS contract in the time. Oh, that was, I mean, it was as we came out of COVID and they sent me that i think the catalyst was they sent me an entirely invented um calculation as to what udas we'd done and i mean literally it wasn't even fag packet they wouldn't explain how they'd done it it turned out that when we'd had a new computer system fitted some person at the BSA hadn't set our mailbox up properly. So they basically lost a five figure sum, which they refused to acknowledge. And I thought at that point, why, it's not a big part of the practice income. Why do I have to jump through these hoops? Why do I have to go onto that fungating mess of a website called Compass and rapidly lose the will to live trying to negotiate through layers and layers and layers of, of digital bureaucracy, have to fill in the stupid um, I, information governance 
um, protocol that you have to fill in once a year that makes no sense unless you have a degree in computer engineering. And in fact, I'm sure it doesn't make any sense to those people as well. And at that point, I thought, well, I've done this once before. It's time to do it again. We've just got to make sure that we do this in a slightly different way because it's children only. And there's always been the reason I've kept it. There's always been that little bit of. Um, I suppose it's it's a it's been a reluctance on my part because I don't think I was ever ready to charge to see children. And I felt that that was a social responsibility. And if there was a way of doing that and get some funding, I did embrace that and I did allow the NHS to, it, it basically underwrote a little bit of the cost. And then with the, the charges that we make to our adult patients, it, it subsidised it. And I actually thought at the end, do you know what? There's no point in doing this. There is, it is taking up 80% of my bureaucratic time dealing with stupid emails dealing with people who don't understand what it's like to run a business people who've been you know at local area teams they, they come out with these ideas that we're going to change this and change that and change the other all great ideas but what it's like is putting alloy wheels on a rusty wheelbarrow your wheelbarrow is knackered there's no point in putting some nice new wheels on it. And that's what the NHS is basically doing. It comes out with all these new initiatives. There's no more money and it suffers somewhere else. And I don't want to be part of that anymore because it doesn't add anything to the care for my patients. And it doesn't add anything to how I feel about dentistry should be provided in my own practice. Yeah. And, um, you know, all fascinating stuff. And just sort of um, finally, sort of all this time on from when you first made the move, and with the situation we've got at the moment, can you only see sort of more and more um, sort of disgruntled dentists sort of yeah. moving to the exit door, so to speak? Yeah, I, th I think they will. Um, the The tipping point may well, well, the tipping point may well have already come, but I think the next tipping point, if you can have more than one, will be when people find out what the next quarter targets will be. I think you might find a lot more people start to go, we, we just can't do this anymore. They've got to have the confidence to do it. They've got to have the ability to um, have faith in their own practice. But most importantly, they have to talk to their patients and you have to do it in a one-to-one -one manner. That is difficult at the moment because the, the loyal patients who want to see their dentist and it is their dentist they are struggling at the moment to get in with them because the NHS dentists are having to see the all and sundries, the pains, the non-registered patients, and it doesn't give them time with their patients like I had. The six months prior to my conversion originally, I spoke to every single patient individually and said, this is what's going to happen. This is why we're doing it. And we had a good take up. The counter argument to that now is Patients are finding it so difficult to find a dentist that it, it's not a good thing, but it's almost a fait accompli. There's never been a better time probably to change because where else are they going to go? We, we have a situation where in dentistry it is effectively a closed market that you can't suddenly get a load of other players they've got to be dentists they've got to be registered dentists there's been the 
issue with Brexit where some of the overseas dentists have returned. So there's a shortage. The, the numbers that are going to increase through dental schools as a result of the changes to the calculations of A-levels, they're not going to come on stream for five years. You've then got to wonder how that's going to be funded through vocational training, as I used to call it, or, or dental foundation training. So this next four or five years could well be the the time where dentistry finally leaves the NHS, but it will it will not be the NHS, I don't think, that makes dentists leave. It never was going to be. I think the aim has always been for the NHS to make dentists want to leave and finally push them over the edge. This could be the time where more of them do it, but they've got to think how they do it, but they've got to have the confidence to, um, you know, to have faith in their own ability to go private. That's great. Sorry, I'm just aware there's a squeaking in the background. One of the dogs has obviously got a dog toy and he's decided to kill it. <laughs> don't uh, worry, don't worry. That was my last question anyway. So thank you very much for that, Simon. I really appreciate it with all your experience sort of talking through them sort of really important issues. So thanks for your time. And this has been the latest episode of Podcast. <laughs>